morning. Oh, no. I got some talking in the sermon today, so we're going to have to warm up here a little bit. I'm going to throw you a curveball, too, so I know this messes us, us Baptists up. I want you to turn to Psalms 23 this morning. I know we were at Psalms 19. If you're new with us, we, we generally pick areas of Scripture, books of the Bible. We study it all. We, one verse at a time, one chapter at a time. We're jumping ahead in Psalms, under exposition of Psalms. I'm going to get those other Psalms, I promise. I want to set us up. We've got an exciting month or so ahead of us. Next week, we're going to kick off one service as we move toward autonomy. If you're new with us, we've been a campus of Parkwood Baptist Church for four years. The goal was autonomy, and autonomy is coming. And so the next month, we're going to be looking at our vision and our purpose. And, uh, and so tell you more about that later. Right now, I want us to know by God's providential hand, He has led us to one of the most powerful and the most comforting Psalms in Scripture. So let us stand to our feet, Psalms 23. Feel free if you want to read this with me. It just seems like we should read this out loud together, doesn't it? If, if, you, if you want to, please do that. Let's begin in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Lord, as we lift this psalm up, Lord, we, we could take just a minute... And remember some things that have gone on in our lives over the years. And think how many times this psalms has been brought to bear in our life. And so, Lord, we ask you today, do it again, God. Do it again. Comfort your people. Settle your sheep. Remove the fear with faith. For the glory of your name, God, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So Gray Barnhouse, a pastor, his wife had died and he led the service, the funeral for his own wife. He used this text. After the funeral was over, he was left with grieving children, grieving for their mother. And so we ask him a question. Would you rather be run over by a truck or the shadow of a truck? Pretty easy answer for the kids. They say, well, of course, the shadow of a truck. A shadow of a truck can't hurt us. And here's what he said. The truck of death ran over Jesus 2,000 years ago so that only the shadow of death passes over us. This is all that has happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death passed over her. She is unharmed in heaven. 
Such is the power. This is why we love Psalms 23, isn't it? That ability to meet us where we are. Spurgeon called it the pearl of the Psalms for a reason. David's describing his relationship with Yahweh. Of Yahweh's relationship with his people. And so he does with two metaphors, two word pictures in the Psalms. One is a shepherd that's devoted to his sheep. Other is a gracious host that generously provides for his guest. So let's just jump in here. Begin with the good shepherd. Look at the picture. Verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. Now remember, we've talked about this a lot. When we hear the Lord, we need to hear Yahweh. We need to hear the covenant God of Israel. And typically when we, when we see the Lord used and when we hear Him, He's referring to the shepherd of a community. And it's true. He is. But He's using this word picture this morning so that we can get something that's important this morning. That yes, He is the sovereign Creator. Yahweh, the One who creates it all. The One who hung the stars. The One who guides us and leads us with His providences. But here He wants us to get this this morning. That yes, He is the, the shepherd of all the sheep and the, and the flock. But here is He says, I come around and I care for you personally. Deeply. Yahweh, your shepherd. This is what He wants us to do. With this word picture. Is to understand yes he is our covenant God. But he cares deeply. Personally. Individually. For sheep. Turn with me. This is nothing new. Our God does not change. Exodus 34. It's on the screen. Exodus 34 verse 6. Says this. The Lord passed before him. And proclaimed. The Lord. The Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, a shepherd lives 24-7 with his sheep. It is the lowest of all work, and yet it reflects the most devotion. Do you know, even kings in that day would call themselves shepherds. Because it was such a good picture. You see, a shepherd rules, guides, feeds, and protects his sheep. He rules them. He guides them. He feeds them and protects them. And so that's why kings, even though shepherds were sometimes looked down on, they would use them as an illustration. He's my shepherd. Alright, so here's the interactive part of the sermon. If... David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. What is David saying about himself? I'm a sheep. So, somebody talk, it's okay. What's something about a sheep? When you think of a sheep, somebody say something. Dumb, Dumb. that's a good word. What's that? Somebody Helpless, yes. What else? Something. <laughs> Fluffy. I can't do anything with Fluffy. <laughs> You're a Fluffy this morning. There's the picture. Here's, yes, 
Sheep are fearful animals, easy to get scared, easily to be anxious, easily to get disoriented, prone to wonder. Me and Jacob have been watching this program, the 72 fiercest predators in somewhere, Asia or somewhere, I don't know where, where it is. But you know who's not going to be on that list? A sheep. Not that fierce. Don't have to worry about this guy walking through the village down a little path and all of a sudden a sheep jumps out and jumps on him. <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Listen, it is as if the sheep were created for dependency. Hmm. There's something to think about. Sheep need protecting. They needed providing for, and the sheep knew it. But at the same time, sheep were purchased for a great price, gathered together in a flock, and they belonged to the shepherd. You see, here's the problem. Here's what we can learn about sheep. The sheep were comforted by this reality. They, were, they weren't sitting there saying, I believe my, my autonomy is being threatened by the shepherd. No, no, they knew that they were dependent. They needed a shepherd. They are dependent creatures. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalms 28 verse 9. It's on the screen. says, Oh, save your people. Bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and what? Carry them. There's your picture. This is the basis of the whole rest of the psalm. Based off of that and that alone, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I won't be without. I will have no lack. Because my shepherd is a good shepherd, I will have good things. Press present tense. He's not just saying... I do not want. He's saying, I shall not want. He's not saying he has a lot of money stored up in his bank account. That's not the point. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what I shall not want. I have God. I have Yahweh. Here's the good news this morning. The more tender, the more dumb, the more helpless, the more burdened, the sheep was, the greater the compassion of the shepherd. It's good news. Let me ask you just an application question as we go this morning. Are you being a good shepherd? Are you even supposed to be? Here's what you're not supposed to be. You aren't the chief shepherd. But let's listen to, let's listen to Paul. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Who was Paul writing to? The church. It says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Listen, we are not the chief shepherd. That's Jesus, but we are under shepherds. We are, people are put in our path, under our care, and we have a model for how we should care for them. You see, the shepherd rules, guides, feeds, and protects. Well, what does the sheep do? They have a corresponding action. They follow. They obey. They trust Him. They love the shepherd. This is the way they're comforted. And listen, this is important this morning. This is the way we know they're sheep. Now what Scripture tells us? You're not following. You're not a sheep. I don't hear Him. Sheep follow. Sheep obey. Sheep trust. And so 
Here's the point. Here's what he's getting to. He says, my shepherd's meant to be enjoyed. And I'm enjoying my shepherd. End of verse 1, it says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It gets, this is imperfect tense. It reflects future orientation, but includes the present. He's getting specific. I will not like anything. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. You see the ruling there? This has language, though it is present and future, and is what he where he's thinking. He's pulling back from some of the imagery from the wilderness. Nehemiah nine twenty one said, "While the children of Israel was in the wilderness, their clothes didn't wear out, neither did their shoes." You see, he rules them by leading them. He's a good shepherd because of not only how he leads them, but where he leads them to. He leads them to green pastures. This is, a, this is not just about food. Not just about substance. This is about rest. Turn, turn with me and just look in the scriptures. Ezekiel. Really, probably one of the best passages that explain Psalms 23. It basically says the exact same thing. It wasn't David who came up with this imagery. It was God that created shepherds and sheep to display Him and display how we relate to Him. Look at what God says. Before we read verse 14, if you have it in your Scripture, go back up to 34 verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. And here's what He said. God said it. Yahweh, I will feed them, verse 14, with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be a shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat of the strong I will destroy. And I will feed them with justice. That's our Yahweh. You see, green grass sometimes for the shepherd could be hard to find. Seasonal. Here's what he says. God will not lead me to a barren land to bite on weeds and lay in the mud. God's care for us isn't seasonal. It's constant. little aside here. Aren't you happy? That the badness of the sheep don't affect the goodness of the shepherd. It's the good news this morning. It's not in my notes. I was just there. He leads me beside the still waters. Green pastures, still waters. He does not drive. There's no picture of a shepherd saying, Oh, doggone it. Will you just get up to the stream? Here's what he knows. The more fearful and anxious I make that sheep the less they're going to eat. They will not lay down. And they will not eat if they're anxious. Scared, anxious sheep won't eat. And listen, neither will wounded, hurt church members. There's many of us that have been wounded by those who should have cared for us. 
And we must bind up their wounds and be patient with them all. That's what he does for the sheep. So what would he do if he couldn't find that? You ever seen it? Streams running real fast and then it broad, gets wide and seems like it's not even moving. Why is that? Because the water's deep. So if he couldn't find it, he would have to create it. He would dam up the water, create it where the water would then rise up and get deep. Why? So the sheep could drink. God gives us true and abiding peace. It's not seasonal. Spurgeon said it this way, still waters run deep. This is important this morning. Listen to what I'm saying. God never leads you to stagnant water. It's not what he's saying. I lead you by water that's not moving. That will kill you. Do not, listen men, never lead your family to a stagnant church. It will kill them. Still waters run deep. Christ leads us to green pastures, still waters. This is both sustaining, refreshing, and resting. And so he says, I'm not going to lack anything. But more specifically, I will not lack life. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. This is the same word in Psalms 19 verse 7. It means to renew. It means to bring back. So the soul in verse 3 corresponds to the me in verse 2. You could literally say, He restores me. He renews me. He brings me back. He brings back the enjoyment of this life. This can be physical or spiritual. Listen, brothers and sisters, don't be afraid to say God cares for you physically. He does. He does. Don't respond to the prosperity gospel and throw out God's sustaining grace and your provision in your life. He is a good shepherd who loves to restore and provide for his sheep just like you do for your family. Psalms 51 verse 12. You remember David had sinned? He uses the same word there, restore. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. He restores me. He's saying, He is restoring me and He will restore me. He said, I'm not going to lack guidance either. He's going to restore my life. He's going to guide me. How? In paths of righteousness. You see, sheep don't have any sense of direction. Is that left or is that right? You know, they're not always being rebellious. They just don't really know. You know, they can't see real good. Might fall off the same cliff that already fell off before. He leads them. He guides them. The, the picture here is righteousness. Is He leads them in the right paths to get to the destination He's taking them. That's the green pastures, the still waters. How? We're going to look at this in a second, but one just practical way is he does it with his staff, you see. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's how he guides the sheep. How he keeps them on the path. 
this brings up a very important part to our guidance of others and his guidance of us. He says, I'm not going to lack for safety. Why? Because, you see, God has instruments that he uses. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that we are instruments in the Redeemer's hands. He says, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. They don't make me afraid. They don't unsettle me. Why? Because he uses these to defend me and to rescue me. That's what the staff, the staff he used to rescue the sheep. Normally five to six foot long, sometimes with a bend or a crook on it, but not necessarily. The sheep, because of all the fluffy, I used that. See, I didn't know I was going to use that. Because of all the fluffy, they would get stuck in the thickets. He used them to pry the sheep loose. As he led them down the path, if there was a snake on the path, he'd use the staff to get it out of the way. If there was something, an obstacle, he would use the staff to remove the obstacle so they could feel safe and get to where he was leading them to. But make no mistake, when the wolf and the enemy came, the rod was there. The rod and the staff is not the same instrument. One, he's guiding, he's rescuing, the other he's defending. This is like a policeman's club, about two foot long, usually had a knot on the end of it. And you did not want to be on the receiving end of that with a shepherd. said that to my family many a time. It's a dangerous thing to get on the outside of my family and start throwing rocks at them. Why? Because a shepherd knows how to defend the sheep. That's what he's there for. That's the rod. It comforted them. That when the enemy came, he'd take out the rod. So what is God's rod and staff? If you're a Sunday school growth group, did I just say Sunday school? I don't even know where that came from. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, what a, you ever had that little voice that's going on in the back of your head? What is God's rod and staff? Growth groups. That's the word. Talk about this, because I don't have time to unpack it today. What is God's rod and staff? You see, this is an image, this is a metaphor, and it actually reflects something in reality. David was really being protected. Physically. Spiritually. He was really being provided for. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. By Yahweh. How? Well, could I just present just two things? They're in my mind more clearly, not only because the psalm, and David talks about it all the time, but because of where we're headed, the vision of the church. God instructs us. He guides us with His Word. That's how He does it. That's what David's, that's what David's getting to. Turn to Psalms 119. He just can't quit talking about it. That's why it's so long. You can turn there if you want to. I'm not going there. I, never, I don't even know which one to pick. David instructs and guides his, with his word. But listen, this is important this morning. He's not giving us Psalms 23 so that we can sit on a hill somewhere and just paganly chant it all the time. He gives it to us so that we can meditate on it and know how God protects and then provides for us. How does he do it? He does it through his word and he corrects us, he loves us, and he provides us through his church. 
If you lead your family away from biblical instruction and care of a local church, you are leading them into a spiritual desert for the sake of lesser things. Because leading each other into God's presence is the highest good and the deepest joy. God's church is used as both His rod and His staff to correct us, to love and provide for us. And it is to take the ultimate place in your life because it is God's instruments in His hands. Therefore, He says, I'm not afraid. Verse 4, I'm not afraid even though, you see, it's not all green pastures and still waters, brothers and sisters. I am not telling you anything. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, what's important about that sentence? He's not living in the valley of shadow of death. He's not even even saying, I walk in it. He's saying, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is part of life. There's a destination that he's taken us to. Sometimes we enter into Scary places, but just like the pastor told his children, the shadow of a dog don't bite you. The shadow of a sword can't kill you. This is what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Remember when he was, everybody was concerned about death and what's going to happen? He said, because of Jesus and the resurrection, we don't even have to fear death as God's people. He's conquered it, Remember? He was chiding death. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Christ has defeated it. I didn't use this illustration in the first service because I was afraid of time, but I'm not as afraid of it in the second service. This is personal, and I usually don't use personal illustrations. I was traumatized pretty severely when I was a young guy and was, have been plagued since I was 17 with, with fear nightmares in my life. They, come, they used to come all the time when I was young. When the Lord taught me how to fight for faith and fight a spiritual warfare, now they come less. But I still have them in my life. And you know what my wife's learned? That when they come, and that's the best way I can describe them, that's why I'm using this illustration, it feels like the shadow of death. My wife has learned to simply put her hand on my arm. And at some point in the midst of that fear, I realize that someone is with me. This is the picture, brothers and sisters. God is here to say to us this morning that He is with us in the greatest moments of our fear and dismay. That He does not leave us, nor will He abandon us. Why? This is important. Look at verse 3. Why does He do all of this? Why does He care for you? For His own namesake. His own glory is His highest good. His highest motivation. And if you're one of His today, that's the greatest news in all the world. Because I am His then His honor, His glory, His reputation hangs on how He cares for me. And He will not let me fall. He will not walk out on me. It's His own glory to stake in His people. 
So here's my question for you this morning. How are you enjoying Jesus right now? Does that mean anything to you? When I say, how are you enjoying your relationship with Jesus right now? Like if we were at lunch and I asked you that question, what would you say? Do you understand, brothers and sisters, that yes, God created everything for his glory. But that means necessarily that he created it for your enjoyment. His glory is over everything. But he created it for the good of his people. Micah talked about general revelation. He gives us his word so that we might know him. He gives us his church so that we may enjoy him through enjoying each other. And so this morning, this was my prayer for myself, for you. Psalms 51 is just restore to me, O God, the beauty of a sunrise. I mean, should we not just slow down and simply enjoy the beauty of a sunrise? Should we not rise early to enjoy the goodness of his word? Should we not prioritize the fellowship of his people? Is how we enjoy our Lord. And so oftentimes we say, okay, he's a good shepherd. Psalms 23, but he's not done. Look, he's got two more verses here. That God's not only a good shepherd, but now he changes the metaphor to a gracious host. And he's not only a gracious host. Listen to the verse. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So he's not just a gracious host. He's a sovereign one too. There's some disdain. There's some chiding going on here. As he says, my sovereign great host has prepared a table in front of my enemies. And since Yahweh is the host... My enemies pose no real threat. I am safe and secure. You see, this is not just about surviving in this life. It's not supposed to be. He says, you prepare a table before me. You see, most of us haven't studied the Old Testament enough to know that there was multiple offerings. The sacrificial system wasn't simply about dealing with your sin and guilt. It was also about fellowship. You offered your sacrifices to remove your sin and to remove the guilt so that then you may offer the fellowship offering whereby God's people may have fellowship with God. That was the point, and that all pointed to Christ. This is what he's thinking of. This fellowship meal, God has prepared a table before me. He's the host. He takes good care of his kids. Jesus loved this metaphor, didn't he? Matthew 22, Matthew 25, you remember? The unprepared virgins, they were waiting, they ran out of oil, they came back, the doors were shut. Remember Jesus always used the kingdom of God prepared a great feast, went out and invited the guests. They were too busy to come. So what did he do? He went out to the least of these and he filled up. He always used this picture 
of God and Christ and the kingdom as that of a feast. And he says, because of this, there's some things that I should, I'm, I'm going to enjoy. I will not lack provision. That's what he says. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup. It runs over. This is like you traveling eight to ten hours somewhere up north. Many of us have family up there, and you drive hours and hours, and you get on the turnpikes and pay, you know, $20 worth of fees just to get up there, and you're tired. And what, what would a gracious host do? Why don't you go take a shower, get freshened up, and then when you get out, you've got a new change of clothes on, they're going to have a meal for you. This is the picture here. Oil was simply a way in that culture to refresh a guest from his travels, a weary traveler. He's simply saying, the Lord revived me from the everyday demands of life. The cup. A constant supply meant to satisfy. That's the picture. The oil and the cup is a picture of the generosity of our God, our host, filled to the brim. Do you understand the gospel here? Many of us presume the cup of blessing. Many of us feel we're entitled to it. Do you understand what was in that cup before Christ? Wrath was in the cup. That was what was in your cup. You do not deserve the cup of blessing. We deserve the cup of wrath. But because of Christ on the cross, He drank the cup and He did not leave it empty. He filled it with the goodness of Himself. He is the green pastures and the still waters. And this is what Jesus said, feast on me. Practically, this morning, as we look at Yahweh as a gracious host, as we look at the text, it's one thing we love about our host homes and our growth groups is that they enjoy having people into their home. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, didn't we? Asking ourselves the question, am I leveraging my home for the glory of God? It's how we can be like our God. You see, this is why I want to ask the question in the series, what is church? Because when we meet somebody, we invite them to church. What are we saying? Could I, could I appeal to you here? That the first place you should invite someone is into your home. You leverage that thing for the glory of God, for it is what He has given you in this physical world to lift Him up and be a visible expression of the gracious host. Why? Because our God invited you in to a great banquet and He didn't just keep you there for 24 hours and say, you wore out, you're welcome. Y'all go get a motel somewhere. No, He adopted us into the family. In other words, we moved in and we ain't never moving out. It's good news this morning. He's a gracious host. Should not we be? What would a difference would it make in King's Mountain if our families were a visible display of the goodness of God as a gracious host?
Mm. And he says, I'm not going to lack provision, but also, I'm not going to lack goodness and mercy. And, and listen, I know it's hard to concentrate. 35 minutes, I see it on the clock right here. I'm doing okay. This is the point that I don't want you to miss, okay? So, you know, freshen up for a second. Look at, listen to this. This is good. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely. What does that word mean? Without a doubt. Certainly. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. Mercy is just another word for steadfast love. The covenant love of God for His people. You see, goodness supplies your need. Mercy blots out your sin. And we need both, brothers and sisters. He says, without a doubt, look at this. You see this word, follow me? This has two distinct, could have two distinct meanings. One simply means to accompany. The other, follow me, is the word pursue. Like an enemy is chasing you. So if we put this in context... This means at least that goodness and mercy is going to accompany. It's going to follow him as a host all the days of his life. This is important, you see, because what is the world chasing? Happiness. For the stuff of this life, we're chasing it. We're trying to find it and they never catch it. Get the person with the most money, and he's still not caught it. It's what David says. You've got to get this this morning. What I'm following is the shepherd. I'm following Jesus. His goodness and mercy, they follow me. In other words, you get this? You're not chasing it. It's not what we have to do. That's the way he's comforted by. I don't have to chase something I already have. God's glory and his reputation is at stake. I don't have to spend my life chasing the American dream. I follow my Jesus where he takes me. I don't have to see the green grass, brothers and sisters. I got to follow the shepherd. He's leading me somewhere. This is a picture of a people surrounded by Yahweh before you, leading you, accompanying you, even pursuing you. And He does it without doubt, without fail, without stopping. You, brothers and sisters, are surrounded by the unfailing love of God. And so he says, because of that, I will not lack eternal blessing. Most likely he has in his mind the house of the Lord here. David loved to dwell in the presence of God. That's a picture, but it is a now and not yet picture. He's basically saying... And in your house, O oh Lord, I will always live. 
This is our triumphant hope as it is David's, isn't it? I will dwell with him forever. Matter of fact, brothers and sisters, this just makes a good so what? It's not really the so what. It's a good one. So let's turn to Revelation. It's not in your notes. I just want to... Let's just end here. Revelation 7. We have saw Psalms. We have saw Ezekiel all using this same picture. And so we have a picture of what it's going to look like when me and you dwell with the Lord forever. There are those that we love that are already there. Listen to what it says. Revelation 7, verse 15. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Brothers and sisters, you see, this morning you don't need a better job. You don't need a new spouse. You don't need better kids. You need a restored relationship with the good shepherd and the gracious host. For heaven is not about a big mansion. It's not about a gold streets. It's not about big crowns. It's about Yahweh. From beginning to end, the promise that comforts His people is that I will live with my God forever in His presence. And I never outgrow the fact that God takes care and cares for me. And may we never outgrow it as we grow and as we go. One question, and then I'm going to pray. Are you a weak sheep? Are you a weary traveler? The right answer to that question is yes. You are a weak sheep. And many of us used Steve as an illustration in the first service because he travels a lot. I know many of you do. Just want to get home, get off the plane, get in a car, come around the bend, coming down to 85, and what do you see? Three miles with the brake lights. It doesn't matter whether it's two exits away. You might as well be on the other side of the world. Life seems that way sometimes. Listen, I can't promise you today that there's not going to be a dark valley in your future because leading us to our destination, we are promised that it is going to happen. I can promise you that if you're one of Christ, He will not leave you nor forsake you. That He gives you not only Himself, He gives you a whole flock to walk through it with you. It's good news, brothers and sisters, to those who need it the most. But don't forget... John 10, we're not going to go there. John 10 says there's only one door to get there. 
There's only one door. There's only one sheepfold. And there's only one shepherd. And his name is Jesus. And so, Lord, we bow before you. For you gave us your son. And there could be no more expression of love than to give us your only son. To sacrifice him for our peace. But Lord, we serve a risen king, a risen shepherd, a risen host. And it is him we follow. So Lord, we pray that our lives would reflect your word. And so as we end, we say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. We pray, no matter where you take us, no matter what we walk through, that we would ultimately bring glory and honor to your name, for in that is the fullness of joy. And now, Lord, one of the greatest joys for your people is to be able to sing to you. So would you receive our voices as worship, the pleasing sacrifice to you, our God and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, stand with me.